Welcome to Say That, the podcast for your big questions, get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. With us this week, all the way from Mercury, Tennessee, is Lee Younger. I, this is the first time in the history of the show, 10 plus years, I think, where I'm not outnumbered uh, Chicagoans to Tennesseans physically in different spaces. We, we're on an even, even footing this That's week. true. Well, this, this harkens back to the, the original batch wow, of episodes right. we recorded where it was, it was two and two. That's right. You, you and me in this exact space where I sit. Yes. Deep. Wow. That's, that's incredible. That is deep, deep. Say that lore. And you, uh, <laughs> you, you, I was about to say you could find that for yourself, but you cannot. Those have been scrubbed from the internet. They do not exist in the extant universe. That was so long ago when we were figuring out podcasting that we hit the like uh, upload limit on our hosting site, and I did not know enough about it to know you could just add more, so I thought we'd have to do like a one-in, one-out situation forever. <laughs> you would need Doctor Strange to find episode one of Say That. Yeah, you, you become like the uh, that person who's writing out that two gigs of free Dropbox and just... Oh, refuses wow. to yeah. kick in like $40 or whatever it is for like a hundred times that. Like, no, I don't need it. I'm good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I still use external hard I just drives. do constant file management. <laughs> That's all right. It's my hobby. As you may have guessed, we have, by the, the math going on there, we are not joined by regular co-host uh, Jed Brewer. He will be back with us soon, but he is currently, I don't know where he is, to be honest. If you find Jed, please, uh, <laughs> please point him back home and tell him we miss him. Um, if he, Jed, he's, Jed, where are you? If you just bump into Jed in your, in your daily life. I, I love the idea of Jed, wherever he is, someone hears the show and they're like, oh, it's Jed. And they're like, Jed, Chicago's that away. And he's like, ah, thank you very much. And he just turns and heads in that direction. <laughs> so like, very... not stressed out, not like just, just normal. Well, uh, even without Jed, we have a, we have a great show lined up. We've got some of your great questions. We've got, uh. A special story to end with, but as ever, we'll open with, well, actually, this actually uh, holds up with what we've been talking about, a nostalgia media emergency. Mm. Oh, my goodness. Nostalgia and media normally make me happy. Um, I really loved Ready Player One. Sure. I really enjoyed Stranger Things. Nostalgia and media are usually a good combo. This one, not so much. Not so much. We are speaking of the Nintendo Inter- Entertainment System game, Bible Adventures. <laughs> oh, see, you started out so great. Nintendo Entertainment System, that's fun. We all remember, you know, when you'd have to, like, uh, open the little door. Well, not we all. The people my age remember. Yeah. Um, not, not many of our listeners, maybe. But you'd open the little door to the entertainment system. You'd push down the little spring-loading thing. The cartridge, the game cartridge, would then be ejectable, and you'd have to blow on the, the connectors of yep. the cartridge because we believed that that's what made the game go. Kids today with their metaverse and their online gaming and their Fortnite, they don't know anything about just a four-direction control pad, an A button, and a B button. That was all there was. Yeah, and that bad boy... Had a uh, it had a cord that was maybe four and a half feet long. You were sitting right in front of that TV. You weren't going anywhere. Yeah, there's almost no doubt that the original uh, Nintendo Corporation was in cahoots with eyeglass makers across the country. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That that is a uh, that's a bizarre horizontal monopoly conspiracy <laughs> theory right there. Absolutely. So we've 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 started off by talking about uh, fun, good memories of NES games, and that ends now. Because now oh. we will discuss Bible Adventures, and uh, mm. we we found this via somebody had put up an had dug up an original commercial from the year of the release in 1991, where some parents are fretting about their kids playing video games, and one one mom is so excited to tell the other that she's found a family-friendly Bible video game. We'll drop that audio in here, because it's about what you expect. Do you ever worry that they're playing too much, Nintendo? Oh, not anymore. See, Matt has Bible adventures. They're actually learning Bible stories while they're playing Nintendo. Quick, get that Bible quote before you run out of power. Bible Adventures features three games in one cartridge. Noah's Ark, Save Baby Moses, and David and Goliath. A must for every family with Nintendo. Call 1-877-BIBLE. That's 1-877-BIBLE. Now, dear listener, if you were listening to that audio and you thought, <laughs> I wonder what the people in that commercial look like you are correct yeah. whatever jumped in your mouth the haircut the sweater yep. vest the yep. color of the wash on the denim we'll we'll put up the video but yeah you you are exactly right in exactly yeah. the like not like a good nine early 90s sitcom but like the one that came on before home improvement or whatever that was just as generic as it could be. This is the mom and the kids from that show. It's the one that it's the one that didn't quite make it into season two from TGIF. Um, like you know, just the ten of us or something like yeah. that. Here's now you heard at the end of that audio they mentioned you know call now for and get get yours and here's the price. I went to the old inflation calculator and apparently that is an, about ninety nine dollars in today's money Dude. that people were shelling out for the Bible Adventures. Look, I, I say to each his own on what, what, what your hobby is, what your downtime thing is. But I will say this. My, my uh, 13, almost 14-year-old son, Jack, uh, saved up his money one time and bought a game called, um, it, was a, it was a Star Wars game, and I'm, I'm blanking on the name of this game right now. In any case, he saved up, you know, like, you know, something around $50 or I don't know what it was. And, um, and, and he started playing this game and it's just a beautifully composed game. It's just like really thoughtful, lots of cool puzzles and stuff like that. Fun. Just all the things about it are so rich, immersive and fun. And of course, you know, the video games have come a long way, but the idea that you would spend 99 us dollars for this hot garbage is outlandish people. So not only are people paying $99 in 1991, the equivalent of 1991, uh, here's what you get for that. Now keep in mind, you buy a triple A title in 2022 for 50, 60 bucks, you're getting, you know, world-class graphics and voice right. actors who are putting out this story and, you know, thir 20 to 30 feature length films worth of entertainment. Uh, Bible Adventures is a game collected of three games based on stories contained in the Old Testament. <laughs> in Noah's Ark, the player must round up animals and food, sometimes by knocking animals out with an object that resembles a barrel or catching fruit thrown by a monkey and carry them onto the Ark. Noah's health is recharged when the player reads Bible verses that are scattered around the four levels. Oh snakes seen on gosh. the trees are decoys. Real, sna 
The real snakes the player has to capture are inside of a cave. Wow. It sounds I mean, like they reskinned Donkey Kong. <laughs> Why and, was everyone throwing a barrel in the early 90s? <laughs> yeah, so a, a monkey is trying to is trying to take you out. Yeah. Also, the that whole thing about um collecting the animals and getting the food and stuff like that. That's that's creepily like a reskin of the Oregon Trail game. Yes. And I wonder what Noah's Ark's version of you have died of dysentery would be. <laughs> you have ended up drunk in a field. <laughs> oh gosh. One of your children has made fun of your nakedness. The other two have covered you up. Yes. Which one would you like to throw a barrel at? <laughs> so that, that blur that we just read encompasses one third of this entire game. The next, in Baby Moses, the player controls Miriam, Moses' sister, as she tries to save her brother from the Pharaoh's decree that all male Hebrew children be killed. Dark opening. Yes. <laughs> I wonder if this was the first mention of genocide on a Nintendo Entertainment System property. Yeah, the whole premise of the, the commercial that you played us the audio for was to make this mom feel better about her kid being involved with video games. Yeah, people talk about violent video games like Grand Theft Auto's bananas, but I don't think they invoke, uh, you know, state-sponsored genocide of children. Mind yeah, you. particularly, yeah, particularly infanticide. Hmm. In order to do this, the player carries Moses from one end of the level to the other in a manner quite similar to the way in which characters in Super Mario Brothers Two carry vegetables. Amazing. Moses can be thrown around without harming him. But enemies cannot be harmed in any way. The adversaries attempt to throw Moses into the Nile, which I don't think is how this threw in the Bible. Dude. <laughs> the, Dude. The, okay. the Egyptians were hunting down Moses that they may punt him into the Nile. Okay, a couple things. One, I have three children. You can't treat babies this way. Yeah, no, that's... You can't just simply throw them around the board. Games are supposed to be educational. Two, and I don't know how much of this I can do, but right now... I will prove that I still remember the music for Mario 2. It goes dun da dun dun da dun da da dun 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 da dun dun da dun da dun dun da da dun da dun dun just great music, man. And I almost promise you that whatever 8-bit music they came up with for this Nintendo game was absolutely terrible. 8-bit Amy Grant. It's like the uh if you went to a really hip Chick-fil-A, that would be what they were playing. Like it's instrumental CCM, but it's like retro chip tunes. Oh my gosh. That is I mean, I can't believe you're just throwing baby Moses around, and if you throw him, it does not injure the baby somehow. Yeah, well, speaking of such things, uh, again, if the player completes the level without Moses, the game says, good work, but you forgot baby Moses, and the level must be restarted. <laughs> and again, I think I'm all for, in gameplay, you know, the positivity, and, you know, we want to be encouraging as a children's game. I think that's, that's underselling it too much. That's not a good job. No, you didn't do a good job. If you got to the end without the baby, that's a bad job. The whole point, the game is called Save Baby Moses. <laughs> Also, like in the Noah game, you re uh, you replenish Noah's health by knowing Bible verses, 
It sounds like in this one, you're just throwing a baby around. There is no, there, there, there is no Bible trivia or anything like that. We're just chucking a baby across the board here. Yeah, based on the description here, Moses can be thrown around without harming him, but enemies cannot be harmed in any way. Like, it sounds like you just kind of pick up the baby and walk from one side of the screen to the other. But maybe you forget yeah. the baby. This is like a, it's like a weird mix of like Frogger and Mario. Yeah. Well, I would like if they based it on Super Mario 3 instead of Super Mario 2, so you could get like a, a raccoon suit that lets you fly baby Moses around or oh, yeah. shoot some fireballs. Or the Super Nintendo uh, version where like uh, where, where you get Yoshi. Oh yeah. And if if Miriam got to ride a dinosaur, that would be so rad. Or if you could put baby Moses inside an egg that Yoshi could put in his mouth <laughs> and then fire to safety <laughs> into the Nile. Yeah, that's pretty good. Ugh. Oh god. Yeah, Yoshi could be either the antagonist or a helper. That's you know you get to choose which path. By the way, I want everybody to understand that for the entirety of the rest of, the, of this episode, even when I'm answering serious questions, the, part of my brain will be thinking about the Mario 2 music. Yeah, no, that's entirely fair. That brings us to the final segment of uh, Nintendo Entertainment System Bible Adventures, which is the, the, the only one so far that makes sense as far as picking Bible stories to do video game levels off of. This one is yeah. David and Goliath. There you go. Speaking okay. of Mike Tyson's Punch-Out!, Yes. Well, I, I, now I'm picturing it in that same, uh, in, in the actual kind of format of Mike Tyson's punch out, just a big Goliath kind of like sliding back and forth and then little David, but you see him in the middle of the screen, you're seeing him from behind. Yep. And you just, you're just trying to hurl those, those stones at his gigantic forehead. Yep. Let's see what, the, let's see if the, uh, creators of this game came up with something that good. I don't have high hopes. In David and Goliath, the player starts out controlling David as he herds sheep and avoids predators such as lions and bears. Acorns can be used to stun the beasts. The player then obtains slings and uses and goes on to dodge guards, scorpions, and stones before he fights Goliath's shield bearer and ultimately Goliath himself, when the player must strike once in the head to defeat. So they took the <laughs> David and Goliath story and somehow for a video game wrung all the violence out of it. Yeah. Like it's all about avoiding and then you one shot him. Also, like he herds a sheep and avoids predators such as lions and bears. There's a line in the Bible where yes. David is recounting killing lions and bears with his bare hands. That's that right. tried to get he to does his not sheep. avoid them. Yeah, that's, that's not right. avoiding. That's we've we've kind of we've we've gone we've really flanderized the scripture there. Like in it, he's like, no, yeah. they came, and, they, and I ripped their jaws apart with my bare hands, and I struck and them with like, stones. And we've also added a fight with the shield bearer, which was not a thing. Yeah. Which I guess you just, like, shame them into leaving. <laughs> I just think it's so fun. It's like, the whole point of this deal was, like, your kid is going to engage with the Bible, which I guess will make them sin less and love God more. Um, but we're going to change all of the stuff in the Bible. Like Noah is now getting uh, fruit hurled at him by monkeys. He has to go into caves to kill or collect the right snakes. Like, like David is fighting. He's avoiding the sheep and the bears, and he's instead fighting the shield bearer. We're just, 
what we're actually doing is we're giving uh, the kids a little light after school heresy. Yeah, we're really preparing them for a life in which you talk about how important it is to to have the Bible and cling to the Bible, but then ignore any parts of the Bible that make you slightly uncomfortable and just kind of put a literally put a Bible skin over stuff you already do. <laughs> you reskinned this religion. Also, how did by the way, how did we not get a Samson video game out of this? Come on, you power up until you push the thing over. Yeah, and you and you're actually like you're like uh, you know, beating guys with the with the jawbone of a donkey. You got there's a level where you tie the fox's tails together with the torches. Like I mean, it really feels like that was a miss. Yeah, there's so much just so much other stuff just if you wanted to make an Old Testament game. Like you're not trying to flee across the Red Sea. Like that feels like talk about a frogger yeah. level. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> just dodging whales and jellyfish that just are just still kind of chilling there in the middle. Um, also, I can't believe we've gotten this far in this emergency segment without mentioning and throwing it back to Billy Graham's Bible blasters from the, from the Simpsons. Yeah. When we, when we mentioned this uh, via text with uh, Jed Lee and I, we took great solace in the fact that you've often heard us remark on the show that we, we regret when we come up, try to come up with something crazy and then Christian culture has already made something stupider. Um, yes. it, it's great, uh, great comfort that the golden age Simpsons writers couldn't out dumb Christian culture either. <laughs> Cause at least in Billy Graham's bio blasters, you can fire at people and wing them and make them Unitarians. It's pretty, <laughs> pretty sophisticated gameplay feature for the time. Probably. Oh gosh. You got well, him. No, you just winged him. Yeah, and you didn't actually put any Bible in your Bible game. And again, that's just so on brand for modern American Christianity that we will leave it there and declare emergency off. That was, there was a lot. $99. Oh, I, I did want to point out, I looked it up uh, before we started recording. You can get apparently a new in-the-package version on eBay for the low, low price of three fifty nine ninety nine American. Wow, dude. And talk about an act of hope and faith is whatever eBay person set that price. Yeah. Cause uh, that's not bid up. That's the, uh, that's the, uh, that's the reserve price right there. That's staying on your shelf, my man. Yeah. I hope you, as uh, as Lee's father is prone to putting things that are overpriced, they're proud of it. And I hope yes. you're proud of it because you're going to get to keep it. Yeah, that's exactly right. With that, we'll move on to your fine questions. If you hang out with us all the way in the end, I'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this. You can scroll down into the episode description in your player of choice and click the links you find there. The first question comes in and says, I was recently reading about how it is not a healthy thing to take on other people's emotions in a situation, but I know empathy is important. Where is the line? And I think this is such a really cool question because um, it is one of those things where, you know, in just in the world, I think it has become empathy has become a big uh, talking point, like the Brene Brown stuff. And certainly in, in Christian culture, I hope it's getting talked about in you know, wherever you get your, your spiritual information, because empathy is super important. We talk about it on the show, but I think there is a line to be drawn there. And I like this phrase of taking on other people's emotions, because that mm. can be a super not helpful thing in a lot of uh, 
circumstances. You know, if you're at your job and someone calls you and is angry, you want to try to understand why they are angry, but it doesn't help you to get angry with them. Like, yeah, you know what? We do suck. This is terrible. You've been treated horribly. That's not what we want. And then in any number of interpersonal relationships, it can go the same way. But Lee, what would we say about, about drawing this line between having empathy, understanding where people are coming from, but not onboarding that for ourselves? I know uh, someone who is a pastor, someone who has done a bunch of youth ministry, you do have to get some reps on Yes, I understand why you are feeling the way you are, but I'm not going to go all the way there with you. Yes, absolutely. It's a super cool question. This is a really, really sharp question, and and we're always glad to get, uh, you know, to to dive into and talk about something like this. Um, one thing I would like to do, just as a as a way to get where we're going, is to talk about something that is very similar but a little bit different, and I think it would be easier to see. Um, there's a thing that can happen and maybe it's happened to you before, or maybe you've watched this happen to somebody else where, um, <clears throat> like, um, you know, it's like, I call up Matt and I'm like, dude, I need, um, I need somebody to, to take me to the airport, but I'm, but I don't have access to a car. I need you to come pick me up right now. And if I don't get there, I'm not going to be able to go on this trip and what I've done is I've taken a situation that I wasn't prepared for or that I've been taken by surprise by. I have an emergency, and I have now given that emergency to Matt and made it his emergency. And what, you know, a, a really healthy thing to do in a situation like that is if you can't help, you just say, I am so sorry that you're in that situation. I'm not going to be able to help you out. But what can happen to us sometimes, and maybe this happened to you, maybe it's happened to a friend, where you're like, oh, no. Now I'm letting down my friend because I can't immediately drop everything, take them to the airport, and, and, um, and now I feel terrible. Well, actually, I have no reason. Matt would have no reason to feel terrible if he was to say to me, I can't take you to the airport today, dude. I'm so sorry that you're in that situation. Um, it's actually very inappropriate for me to make my emergency his, for him to onboard my emergency onto himself as if he were responsible, as if he did anything. I mean, if he's like, hey, I got time. Sure. I'd love to give you a lift. Let's, let's do it. Let, that'd be a good chance to hang out anyway. I'll get you to the airport on time. It'll be great. But we don't want to... Un- yes, go ahead, Matt. I love that example because I think it's such a great one of this line we're talking about because it would also yeah. be wrong to say, what do you mean? Like, why didn't you... You booked a trip. You didn't realize. In my case, right. I'd be like... When did your flight take off? You'd be like, in six hours. And they'd be like, you should already be at the airport. What's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> yes, that's the way Matt gets to the airport. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that's a, one of the reasons what you brought up, Lee, is such a great example is because we super know that that is not a good reaction to be exactly. judgmental, to be sharp, to not take on, be like, oh, well, you shouldn't be panicked because you should have thought of this because da 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 But I love what you're bringing out of there's definitely an overcorrection side that is equally is something we equally want to avoid. Yeah. Because the, you know, it's like in my panic, I might not even know that I'm doing this to you, but in my panic to get to the airport, I'm spreading the love of my stress by saying, now you join me in my stress, you come with me on it and you get real stressed out too. Well, that actually doesn't help anybody. It doesn't help the situation. It doesn't actually help me panic less or anything like that. And whether or not you can help me, you shouldn't take on my emergency. Now, let's go back to this, this empathy question with emotional stress and emotional strain. The line that you're talking about 
is, is actually kind of the whole point of empathy itself. Here's what I mean by that. The whole idea of empathy is you're telling me about something that you're going through, something you're feeling. That's where the path part comes from empathy. Like the, the origin of the word pathos means to feel. And the EM, the imp part, the M part of empathy is with. I'm going to like I'm going to feel alongside. I'm going to feel this. I feel what you're going through. I understand what you're going through. I'm listening. I'm hearing you. I'm sorry you're going through that. Or wow, that sounds really, really tough. There's a difference between that and then internalizing all that and actually joining them in that same level of heartbreak or or making internalizing it in such a way that you start to wonder, am I that person? Am I like that? Now what we've done is we've actually taken a situation where somebody's sharing with me, and, and now I've internalized it to the degree that I'm actually talking about, thinking about, and looking at myself now. Um, I've actually moved away from empathy at that point. I'm actually dealing with my own stuff now. We have to be able to feel, um, to express, to be there for people, and keep the spotlight actually on them by separating for ourselves. I can't onboard every emotion that you're feeling because actually this moment is about you. Um, this moment is about listening to you. This moment is about maybe helping you. This moment definitely is about being there for you. So what I have to do is I have to m- maintain, it's not really maintaining a distance from what you're going through, but I have to make sure that what you're feeling is your thing and not my thing, because actually that's the whole idea of empathy is I'm actually making this moment about you. I think that's such a cool way to describe that because I think empathy is one of those things. It is super important. It's very good. It's a very good life skill. It is very Christ-like too. And there's, uh, and Lee might be able to check the actual verse for me, but there's, uh, there's actually verses in the Bible where it talks about Jesus feeling for someone. And the actual Greek is, Something along the lines of he felt it in his guts. That's right. Yeah. Like it's, it's for real. Like you're supposed to have an emotional response to people. That's, that's a good thing. But as Lee is pointing out, um, that does not mean you automatically get drafted into everyone's emotional crisis. And it also doing that is not the most helpful thing. Um, because as Lee points out, like you're not in the situation, like somebody, your friend calls you and says, I have to be at the airport in two hours. Uh, can you come pick me up? Well, I'm no, I can't. I'm at work. I'm at school. I live further away. I live a distance away where we couldn't make that loop. You kind of getting drawn into that own, your own panic or your own bad feeling about that totally stops you from saying like, okay, what, what would an, what would an Uber cost? Is there anyone else around? Can you drive there? I, I can pick up your car from the airport tonight and drive it home for you. So I have to pay for one day of parking or like, any right. number of things, but one per, the one of the only things that makes one of the only situations which worse decisions get made than one person panicking is a group of people all panicking together. <laughs> so somebody's got to yeah. got to be the one to pull up on that, and that's an advantage of being outside the situation. Well, and 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 we also have to be heads up about this because, you know, in so many situations. Um, if we internalize too far, what we're going to do is we're going to wind up in that same headspace as somebody who genuinely just needed somebody to listen to them, genuinely just needed somebody to talk to them and be there for them. And that's all well and good. But occasionally, you're not going to have somebody whose intentions are all goodwill. Yeah. Occasionally, totally. you're going to meet up with somebody who 
their intention is to take advantage of the fact that you um that your level of empathy makes you get involved at a place that m- may be unhealthy relationally, maybe unhealthy time-wise for you or energy input-wise, whatever that situation is. And we have to make sure that we're able to you know, empathize with people without onboarding all their emotions so that we don't also get manipulated. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that we can make good decisions for ourselves and help someone else make good decisions. Um, you know, I know I've dealt with this a little bit. I did youth ministry for a long time, and I know Lee has dealt with it way more than I do. Like, if you do youth work or youth ministry or whatever, or just have, you know, younger siblings or kids or whatever, at some point, you know, a 15-year-old is going to look at you and be like, but they broke up. They broke up with me. Ah. And it is wrong to be like, yeah, high school relationships are stupid, so it doesn't matter, and not empathize. <laughs> But right. it is also not helpful to be like, okay, we have to come up with a plan to get them back. Right. We must repair this this 15-year-old dating relationship. That's not, that's not good either. You have to yeah. have that line of acknowledging the feelings, you know, feeling with someone. You know, the Bible says, you know, mourn with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. But you don't have to make decisions as if you are the, as if you are the person who is in this situation. Because exactly. you're not. And that is an asset as opposed to... Uh, a, a problem that's not a lack of empathy. And the other part about uh, the, the limits of empathy is it is limited. You know, there are situations where someone may be describing to you their um, situation as just in a way that you are not going to be able to relate to they, uh, something that relates to their race or their gender or their sexual identity or their uh, economic status that you don't have. And it is not a kindness in that moment to try to, as Leah's pointing out, to make that interaction interaction about how much you relate. Yes, yes. So that's a really good point because um, one of the things that I think can, it can come naturally if your goal is like, I do want to become a more understanding or empathetic person. It's like, as they're talking, I'm going to start loading up the story I have that demonstrates I've been through that thing. Well, <clears throat> what I would say is, in a lot of situations, and this is just kind of what this is definitely helpful in, in ministry or counseling situations, but it's also just good friendship advice, which is before you say anything, just slow down and take in as much as they need to get out. Just yep. slow down and listen. Just let them have their say. And you don't have to tell a story that that demonstrates you've been through that before. You don't have to tell a story that says, I know exactly what you're going through. Sometimes you just take some time to slow down, listen, and ask questions. You know, lead with, I'm so sorry that you're in that place. That sounds really, really hard. What did you feel when this part of what you just told me happened? And then, and then back out and do more listening. Um, you don't, it, empathy is a good thing, but you don't have to lead with, I know exactly what you went through because last year this happened to me and now we're talking about my story instead of yours yes please don't ever share white people uh, don't ever share the time of the story of the one time you went to a different country and you realized you were the only one of your race in the room yeah. that one time so it's exactly the yep. same it's not exactly the same <laughs> and you know it's not so don't do that um and, and, but as lee points out that that is a very a very normal way that we we see empathy demonstrated there's an idea of like the highest level of empathy is um a hundred percent 
um, identification with a situation and having been there as well. But sometimes it's just not in the cards. But as Leah said, you know, you can acknowledge someone's feeling. You can acknowledge that you are a human too, who has also felt stressed or isolated or whatever it is. But we, when we get down to those real, real deal. We, that's where we can have empathy with really any situation. But as Lee points out, the way you get there is by doing a lot more listening than talking, which is a lot easier anyway. Um, one of the things that's great in these situations to remind yourself is this person's probably not looking for you to have an answer to their giant problem. Uh, they probably want listening. And even if they wanted something else, most people will take listening. It's really not a bad place to be at all. And you actually, it, this is one of those things that it sounds kind of, it sounds lame when you say it, but like if you actually do it in practice, it, it actually is something that helps people, which is when you've done a lot of listening and you've asked some follow-up questions and then you've listened more off of that, you can ask them, um, hey, what would you like me to do for you right now? Mm-hmm. Would you like, is this just a situation where you need to take out the trash and you're going to feel better if you can just kind of just, just say, just clear the chamber, like say everything you need to say. Um, and, and I would be more than glad than to just be a listening place for you. Or is this a place where like you're hoping to get some work done and, and come up with some strategies and solutions and you like an outside perspective on that? I'm cool with whatever. Um, I'd love to help you work your way through this if you'd like to. I don't know if I can help. Maybe I can. But I'd also be totally cool with just, just listening. Um, I, I can tell you this. It took me a long time to learn that in certain relationships. It took me a long time to learn that actually in marriage and stuff like that. I was, it's like, if my wife was upset, I just want to fix it. I want to make, I want, even if that means I got to burn the world down. So nobody ever hurts her again, you know, kind of thing. And sometimes she's like, dude, don't fix anything. I just need, I just need you to listen. I just need you to, you need to listen kindly and, and have my back, you know? And sometimes that's what people want. And then sometimes people want some perspective and some strategies and it's okay for you to ask that. What are you looking for? I think that that really is the ninja level move on that. And it comes back to where Lee started us, which is so smart about um, making sure we're not making this about ourselves as the person listening. Because yes, when you're, when your partner or friend or spouse or whatever comes to you, is like, I'm sad. And something made me sad. Um, it may be a particularly male instinct, but that's the perspective I'm coming from. Well, now I'm angry. But we can't make this conversation right. about me being angry because it's about right. you being sad. So we do have to continue to work through that, which is uh, really the better way to go. No, honey, I don't want you to burn the post office down. I just want you to be here with me. Yeah, not going to help. You You in federal prison is actually not going to be the long-term solution <laughs> to the person at the post office being rude. We just need to, we need to be right here. That's right. Absolutely. All right. Great stuff on that. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in and says, what place should anger have in a Christian's life? I've never felt like I was allowed to express anger growing up because it wasn't nice. I know Jesus expressed anger, but I don't hear that elaborated on ever. There's so much to reasonably be angry about, but being mad all the time doesn't feel good. And uh, again, another cool question and a lot going on there. Lee, I don't know about you. The, the part that, that jumps out to me is uh, I I know Jesus expressed anger, but I don't ever hear that elaborated on. I think that is a, mm. a really interesting um, observation about how it's a totally true thing, but a kind of a pat line in a lot of sermons, books, whatever, of when they talk about anger. Well, you know, Jesus uh, drove people out of the temple and uh, he felt anger. And so we know it's not a sin. 
But then that's just kind of the only point about that. We don't get to anything yeah. about like how to manage or fold in this emotion that is a huge part of the human experience. So where did we jump yep. off with, with all the good stuff our question asker gave us? I, there's so much to say about this and it's such a cool question. And I, I mean, even just the, if, if the only question here was, Hey, the Bible says Jesus got angry. I never hear about that. What's going on? Um, that would be enough to, to wrap a whole show around really. And I mean, there's so much cool stuff to say, like a really, really cool question is like, Hey, what if you read through or listened through the gospel narratives, found the places where it specifically says Jesus got angry and then went back and, f- and asked the question, what happened right before that? Why did Jesus get angry? It's a really, really interesting case study. Like for instance, um, the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark says that that's the shortest one. So it would be the easiest to, to fact check. The book of Mark says that Jesus got angry um, specifically three times. And it's a cool thing to look at what happened that precipitated Jesus getting angry. One of those times I will tell you is um, when people tried to bring their, their kids to Jesus to hang out with him and his disciples told the parents, no, get your kids out of here. Jesus doesn't have time for kids. He's doing important stuff with important people. We don't have time to mess around with little kids. Um, they're, you know, they, they're, they're small, they're dirty, they're noisy, they don't have any money. You know, these are presumably the they're, they don't have any important connections. We're not going to get famous or rich, you know, with Jesus doing miracles with kids. So let's let's push off with the kids. Beat it, kid. Come back when you got connections. That's right. <laughs> Come back when you've had lunch with a book agent. <laughs> exactly. And so um, that in that section, it specifically says that Jesus was angry, and he was angry with the guys he picked. This is not angry at the Pharisees. It's not angry at, you know, Herod or Pilate or anybody like that. He was angry at his guys for telling people that he was too busy for kids. That's a really, really cool thing. It's actually really cool to realize, you know what upsets Jesus? When somebody thinks that somebody else is not important enough to hang out with Jesus. That really pisses him off. (laughs) That's kind of cool. There was one place that specifically says Jesus got angry when there was a guy who had um, a case of edema, which is like it's like a it's like a swelling of the joints. It's an f- extremely painful physical ailment, and somebody brought this guy to Jesus, and there were the, and the Pharisees were sitting around, and it was a Sabbath, and they were like they had been hounding Jesus about stop healing people on the Sabbath, and um, and somebody brought this guy to Jesus, and he was like you don't want me to heal him, do you? And they're like, well, it is the Sabbath, you know, that we, we have religious rules. And Jesus is, it says that he got angry and he was like, this guy's in pain. He's in pain and you love your precious little church rules more than the fact, over the, over and atop the fact that someone is hurting. And that pisses Jesus off. That, that somebody protecting their little church order or their little church traditions or their little church rules or their whatever policies would, would be something that trumps the idea that somebody is in pain, that needs help, that needs, that needs somebody to care about them. That is the kind of stuff that pisses Jesus off. So yes, you're right. Jesus got angry. He got angry for good reasons. Sometimes I get angry for really bad reasons. Sometimes I get angry for good reasons. Jesus got angry for good reasons. You can, 
you can get angry. You can express that anger. I think it's a really healthy thing for us to, in general, this is not just anger. In general, I it's kind of cool. We're talking about a lot of emotional stuff in this podcast episode, but in general, like a huge part of growth is becoming more aware of the things that you feel, um, that you feel different emotions. Matt and I have a very, very good friend who um, <laughs> he he fell in love with and got married to a very good licensed professional counselor, has a great background, a lot of psychology stuff, and just just brilliant and everything. And one of the things that he told me was, um, before I married my wife, I was aware of like maybe one or two emotions, like maybe anger, definitely hunger. Is hunger an emotion? And he was like, and now... He said, now my wife shows me this like giant chart with a wheel with like so many layers of different kinds of emotions. And she wants me to learn about myself and what I'm feeling. Um, and there are things that, that counselors, therapists, and psychologists will do to tell you like every now and then, if you're not aware of yourself and what you're feeling, you should take a break in the day and just like set a timer on your phone so that it stops you at a random point in your day. And you take a minute, you take a beat, you take a time out and just ask yourself, what am I feeling? I mean, before we even get into the sin of this thing or how Christians have manipulated it, how weird it can get and how we deal with it, that's one of the things that we need to talk about and deal with is the fact that so many people, Christians definitely, but so many people, they just never have done a whole lot of work or reps in knowing and being aware of what do I feel? at a given time. Yeah. I think that's such a fantastic uh, way to take that. Um, I, I would add on uh, one, uh, one more story about Jesus getting angry. This is from the, in the book of Mark, uh, the version of the book of Mark is in a couple of gospels, but it's, it's one of the more famous ones is uh, Mark 11. Is, on reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts and began driving out those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. And he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, Is it not written, My house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. So on the list of things that makes Jesus angry, people prioritizing commerce in a space that's supposed to be set aside for something sacred. Mm-hmm. You, can get, you can get a great a rundown of that in the bookshop on the way out. Check out the bookshop. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but again, a reasonable... Anger, an expression of something that I think indicates the kind of things that made Jesus angry. But I love what Lee was saying there at the end there, and it goes back to the question of a lot of people not putting, just not being connected to their emotions in general, and maybe anger. Yeah. One of the ones we're told we're not connect, supposed to connect to the most in a lot of situations, but specifically in a Christian context. Um, I, I did not grow up in the church, but from knowing a lot of people who did, I get told that you are made to feel like a very naughty little monkey if you are ever angry. Particularly if you're angry at a pastor or a parent or a teacher or anyone who's any kind of in any kind of authority figure, because you are told that that is a bad thing to feel, and that is a very dangerous idea that a lot of people uh, get put in them, put on them. But as we were kind of talking about overcorrection in the last in the last question, then that melds with this part of your question. We say, it does, but it doesn't feel good to be mad all the time, right? I think when you have something you were you were de- an emotional experience you were denied, there can be the idea of, well, that whatever unhappiness or dysfunction or problem I have, 
can be tied into that. And so the more I do that, the more I will be better. And particularly with anger, there's definitely a point of diminishing returns. You need to feel, if you have to feel anger, we all do. It doesn't do any good to say not to feel it. And one of the kind of really insidious tricks of the way a lot of Christians talk about anger is they start from a perfectly reasonable, almost biblical point of it is not good to hold on to anger. That's true. Bible says that. Again, that's just something uh, from the study of psychology we know, just people, you can just turn on, I don't know, any random cable news channel or Facebook. Um, People who are just angry all the time are not happy, productive, uh, thriving people. But you have to feel it sometimes, but that gets the point of the letting go of it. You need to, if you need to flip a table or have a conversation with someone or yell into a pillow or whatever you need to do, you express anger, but there doesn't seem to be moving on from it. But the reason I'm trying to be very careful with how I word this is because that gets so mushed into, well, just don't feel it. That's just like the, the cool uh, shortcut yeah. to working through it. And as, as Lee's pointing out, that's not what we're saying. We don't think that's what Jesus is saying. That's not what people who study this kind of stuff are saying. You're going to feel anger. There's perfectly good reasons to feel anger. Um, we should also point out they're uh, not reasonable reasons to feel anger. And that's a yes. different issue. That's if, you know, if you're happy, if the person in front of you going five miles an hour to speed limit leads to you um, committing some kind of assault, that's not because you, you just have a, a, a weird cultural thing around anger. That's an issue. And you should get an, some concern for that. Well, see, so the, where we started on this whole idea of even just talking about Jesus and the times that we specifically know that, that he got angry and you know, just saying it. What's really interesting is to go then to go back and ask the question, "Why did that happen?" Well, that winds up being a really important skill for my own processing and understanding, and then uh, handling of my own anger. Um, <clears throat> Christy and I were recently going on a trip um, out of state. We had everything packed up, and I was in the process of loading the car, and we were getting the kids ready to go on the trip and everything. And all of a sudden, like, like the, the heavens opened and we were in like a monsoon style rain. It was just like crazy rain. But I became extremely agitated and I was getting upset. And Christy said, you're, you're angry about this. And we're starting this trip in a, in a tough spot. Like, let's talk about this. And and I was like, you know, I'm, I, and I was in a stage of denial. I was like, let's just get on the road. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It was like, I was not fine. I was doing terrible. Classic road trip, dad. Everything's fine. We're all fine. Everybody yes. on the bus. Yes, exactly. Good. Great. You know, <laughs> and I mean, wonderful. But like, you know, we were looking at it. It was like, you're so upset. Just, and it's just, it's, it was rain. Like, why is that happening? And then Christy was able to say, actually, um, it's not the rain. You know what happened before this? And, and it was like, what happened before this? It was like, well, we're a scant three days in between you getting back from an international trip, and now we're heading out of state again. You just got the clothes washed. You had to squish a week and a half's worth of work into the three days you had left in this, and now you've turned around and done this. This is not the rain. This is, you are too, you, you, you're on energy reserves you're, you're stressed. You're not, you don't have enough rest. Like you have to rest. And, and this is what I'm telling you, you're taking off your square too easily. And it was like, 
it was like actually admitting the anger and then processing through it by realizing, oh, I have a legitimate reason to be struggling right now. It doesn't, the, the anger is not helping anybody. It's definitely not helping the, the road trip, but it definitely helped me to understand why I was there. So we do the same thing with this. It's like, okay, I'm feeling angry. Do I have a legitimate reason to feel angry? Or do I have a legitimate reason to feel something else? For me, the anger became kind of a secondary emotion to mask something else that was uncomfortable. And psychologists will tell you this is a, this is a thing about anger. Sometimes it is a legitimate primary emotional response to a thing that you should be upset about. That is a legitimate thing. Anger also works in a different way sometimes. Sometimes it is an, it's an illegitimate, uh, I'll use that in air quotes, a secondary emotion that we compensate ourselves with because it feels better to get all heated up with an anger, to get an anger on, than it does to feel the thing which is, I want to ball up in a, in a corner and cry over the fact that I'm stressed out, I haven't had enough rest or sleep, and I can't cope with this moment. That feels a lot worse than, I'm just going to get real good and mad, you know, or I feel ashamed or embarrassed about something. Have you ever seen a kid who, um, like a little kid, has a situation where they fell, they did something embarrassing, a couple people laughed, and their response was immediately just to get really, really angry and run out of the room. The anger there is a secondary response that where they can compensate themselves for the uncomfortable feeling of embarrassment. That's a classic thing too. So we want to be able to process all the sides of this. I feel angry. I'm aware of that. I admit it. I'm trying to process that by asking myself, what happened before this? Do I have a legitimate reason to feel angry? Do I have maybe something else going on that I need to process in order to understand this anger better? There's so, so much to this. And what we need to get really good at is not just simply throw it, like Matt said, into the sin category. You're not allowed to feel this. You are going to feel it. Now, why do we feel it? And what are we going to do with it? Those are the pertinent questions. I, that's such a great point. It, it really gets to the heart of this, which is um, anger is an emotion. As we talk about a lot on the show, emotions are neither good or bad. Um, and we, if we get thinking about it too much, uh, one way, the, if we think about thinking about one or the other, it's going to be dangerous. If your immediate ration, just all, um, all anger is bad. If I feel anger is because I am bad, you're going to ignore a lot of things that are real emotional uh, feelings, real emotional situations you're having and real things are leading to that. On the flip side, if you jump to uh, righteous anger is that which will fuel me through life to uh, higher and better places. That's you're not going to ever have that conversation. You know, Lee was having with his wife, but and we hopefully we all get a point where at some point we can have that with ourselves of, okay, I feel angry. Why is that without the, is it a good reason or a bad reason? Just what's the reason? Yeah. Maybe it's this thing happened before. Maybe it's, I'm worried about this, whatever it is, it's perfectly legitimate. But then we move on from there, and that is a lot, a lot of good stuff about navigating the world of anger. And we're going to close out with a, not a final question, but uh, something that crossed our face this week, that uh, speaking of things to be angry about, we're going <laughs> to practice what we preach on that one. This was an article from Wired.com. Uh, it's like a technology site. Uh, the title of which is The Ungodly Surveillance of Anti-Porn Shameware Apps. Churches are using invasive phone monitoring tech to discourage sinful behavior. Some software seeing more than congregants realize. So, and I, I want to make sure I get this because it is, it is both pertinent and hilarious. The, 
the reporter for Wired who who did the story tweeted it out, and this is a fantastic just lead they put in their their tweet. This is a Twitter user D Marrow, uh, a church (parentheses) that swears it's not a cult. Had congregants install an app that reported everything its users did back to church leaders. My first wired about the niche ecosystem of shameware apps built to police sinful behavior. Now, yeah, when <laughs> there, there's so much in that, but like that's just a it's a beautifully composed tweet. Yeah, that swears it's not a cult. <laughs> well, and he he keeps it up because his the opening line of the article is. Grace Point is the kind of evangelical Southern Baptist church that's compelled to publicly enumerate all of the ways it's not a cult. <laughs> so from this article uh-huh. and some other just poking around, there's a, a thing called Grace Point, which is a like giant multi-site uh, church-ish network, which seems to be mostly around uh, planting uh, communities or whatever you want to call them, congregations in like college towns particularly with uh, immigrant populations, which could be cool, but then there's the way they're doing it. So um, so if you go to their website, you'll find two different things. Uh, one is uh, we would like to respond to the recent article in Wired. We share the widely held concerns about privacy violations related to technology use. However, applications like Covenant Eyes and Accountable to You, that's the letter, that's the number two for anyone. The numeral two. Keeping track at home, accountable to you. Our I wish it had the, I wish it had the letter U after it, just like the, <laughs> the band name U two flipped. Accountable. That would be Room, a little too Sinead two. O'Connor. <laughs> yeah, I hope their I hope their slogan is nothing compares to accountable to you. <laughs> oh gosh. And so they say it's a unlike spyware. This thing that spies on you is different. Our current practice is discourage staff from choosing their leader. As their accountability partners, as we prefer that to be close friends or others they feel comfortable with. So the way these softwares work is you you put it on your phone or your computer or whatever, and it basically just uh, snitches on you every website you uh, visit, and it sends it to an, in an email to an accountability partner. So I like their thing. We don't want it to be the pastor. We want it to be somebody who's going to tell the pastor. <laughs> we feel like that's also, a lot more healthy for everyone involved. I, I was reading down through the article. One of the ways that this works is it takes like a screenshot of your phone without telling you like every oh, minute or something like that. Sweet. Like at a random point during every minute that your phone is active, it takes a screenshot. It decides which ones it wants to send based on some um, algorithm and then sends it to the person that it's tattling on you with. I do want to say that when, when it was, I think it was Jed, but whether it was you or Jed that first sent this thing made me aware of it in our uh, group thread. Um, my initial response was, okay, so there's church uh, accountability software to keep people from sinning more. Um, are we going to, uh, are we monitoring like, um, and making sure that people aren't greedy? Are we monitoring and making sure that people love their neighbor? Are we monitoring places where people didn't care for the poor. You know, just, uh, I ask that because these are things that the Bible really, really They're cares about. Monitoring the amount of meekness in their communications. That's right. Uh, yes, uh, there is a a standard uh, online place where you can see how the people in your congregation behave when they're not there, and it's called Facebook, and it's not yeah. great. <laughs> 
Yeah, the answer as I read down through this article is no, no, they don't they don't care about the greed or the uh the not caring for the poor or the immigrant. They don't care about the kindness or the or the you know, uh mercy. Um no, it's none of those things. It's no, it's just the it's just the sexy websites. That's that's it. That's it. Yes. Well also thing. in our t- and this is from Wired, in our tests of accountable to you prior to suspension, it's uh not currently available on the uh, Google Play Store, but it is uh, as apparently neither app appears to utilize iOS's accessibility permissions, which is a bit of a oopsie. Um, uh, the software similarly flagged content with the keywords like gay or lesbian in the URL. For instance, when we yeah. set up a test account and navigated to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control's website for LGBTQ youth resources, the phone was designated as our accountability as our accountability partner was immediately texted and emailed a questionable activity report indicating that our test phone had visited a highly questionable website. Ah. Uh, yeah, there's there's I mean, there's like really 1984 like Orwellian levels to this too where it's like you just say something that feels like you're not backing up the leadership of the church that will get back to them through the screenshots of text messages, that kind of thing. Oh, by the way, this was also very interesting, Matt. I don't know if you uh, saw this in the article. Um, I think I can't remember if it was accountable to you or covenant eyes. One of them, they make $26 million a year. Yeah. Well, I did. I did notice that part. I also um, went to covenanteyes.com. Um, which I'm going to regret for the rest of my life. But so I was scrolling around and it's, it's standard, you know, there's scary red photos of someone looking at a laptop and, uh, it, it funny in the article on wired, it literally somebody says, it's not just about porn. Um, here are the, the things you can click on covenanteyes.com. I'm a man who wants to quit porn. I'm a woman who wants to quit porn. I want to help a friend live porn free. I want my spouse to live porn free. I want to help my child live porn free. Those are the only uses this website says we have it has for its own thing but the thing that caught my eye as i scrolled to the bottom is affiliate program okay help change lives while earning an income use your voice to educate and empower people to overcome pornography through the covenant eyes affiliate program benefits earn twenty dollars for each new covenant eyes account sign up that uses your custom link Ah, a generous 90 day cookie window ensures that you get the commissions you deserve. I'm imagining radius management platform is used for tracking, reporting and payment processing. I'm imagining a vaguely triangular shape in my mind for some reason. Yeah. Shame MLM. (laughs) So let's say, and I'm not accusing anyone of this because I don't know, but let's say you were the head of an organization that had some influence over young people. And you, uh, you forced them to download this on their phone after they were honest with you about some behavior they were trying to change. You might also get a $20 kickback for every time you did that. And if you wow. were, let's say, a large multi-state church planting network that happened to use these things, um, that might add up pretty good. Dude, that took a dark left turn. Yeah, that got, that got darker from... Uh, where it was uh, to uh, close out and go back to the comedy. So they have the thing of on their website, gracepointonline.org. Uh, we'd like to respond to the recent article in Wired. Um, but then there's another one, which is our response to the recent Christianity Today article. 
Christianity Today article was the one that uh, the guy was referencing uh, where they pointed out, um, this has a lot of culty elements. Yeah. So, well, just to say, and we don't, we're, we've had a lot of people over the years writing about, oh, what, what denomination or here's this church. And if you're interested in what we think of a church, we don't do that on the show, but we're always happy if you want to email us, like here's the website or here's a statement of faith. We're always happy to give that a look. Uh, one thing I feel like we're very comfortable saying is if they have multiple, we'd like to respond to the international publication that did an expose into us. Um, yeah. That's not great. <laughs> I love that. I love that you go to Covenant Eyes and they're like, we're not just about porn. It's like, it's like when McDonald's tried to sell a salad for a minute. It's like, you know what you are. Well, the other thing I love is it's clearly, if on the website, it's clearly like just a template website. And if you've ever seen anything like an Instagram ad or something where it's like the kind of semi-twee little like um, all the icons are like little um, illustrations of people. And it's exactly the same as like, it's a person who uh, you know, I just sold my first thing on Shopify or I lost 20 pounds with Noom. It's those exact same things, but underneath it is just, I'm a man who wants to quit porn, but he's like <laughs> walking a tightrope. The, the, I want to help a friend live porn free is a drawing of a man and a woman high-fiving. Like <laughs> there's not a lot of effort that went into this is what I'm saying. The, uh, and, and to your point about the church website it's like the pay no attention to the man behind the curtain of we are not a cult we're not a cult i swear we're not a cult is just really i mean at like like the fire is coming out of the building at this point yes some some wonderful uh lines of red flags within a red flag from that thing many thousands have gone through our ministry most of whose experience are quite different from what had been described by a few. In other words, the sort of incidents reported in the article are not the norm, and most of our members would testify that they enjoy strong relationships with friends and leaders as well as our deeply meaningful ministry work for the kingdom of God. Um, most of the people didn't get abused is actually not a reasonable... Yeah, dude. Like, to, to Lee's point about if, if there was a thing at McDonald's where, like, uh, there'd been a huge rash of food poisoning... The McDonald's PR person would not come out and say like, well, up to 80% of the people who eat at McDonald's restaurants did not get any kind of disease from our hamburger. So we think it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. The other one, and here's a giant, uh, if you've been around as long as Lee and I have, and you've, you know, these are words that in certain contexts you go, okay. But when they're in the, we got busted context, huge red flag. Our ministry is carried out by imperfect sinners, 1,600 mostly lay members who are works in progress. Nope. Uh, no. Nope. Yeah, no. Also, the, our work is carried out by 1,600 people who are mostly lay, meaning we didn't train them and don't pay them and don't actually have any oversight into what they do. So that's a positive. Also, this whole thing is supposed to be about accountability. Yeah. Also, also apparently... You're making money off me? Yeah. Wow, man. Hey, listen, that in, in all seriousness, if like if you get yourself into a, a group that's supposed to provide, you know, um spiritual help, um, community, friendship, um, encouragement, that kind of thing, um, 
you should not be um you should not be pressured into uh putting basically spy and shameware onto your phone and uh and have people tattling on you um that should be the sign to run as fast as you can the other way Yes, absolutely. For any number of reasons, uh, w- one of the smaller of which, but it's definitely a real one, is, again, Lee and I have been around for a long time. This kind of crap has been around for 20 years. The whole, like, accountability software thing. It doesn't work. No. And it is just a control thing. And it is the opposite of accountability. If it someone, is. if you go to a leader and for whatever, say, here's a thing, and I, I would like it to be different, and I want to make growth in this. And their answer is, let me surveil you so I have more information. That's insane. That yep. leader has all the information they need. That's right. You were honest about a thing and you want it to change. That should be a moment of celebration and encouragement and happiness of that was the hardest part. It's go- going from no- secret to not secret is the biggest thing. And now all we have to do is tweak behaviors and figure stuff out. And also, if you run, a college a ministry based at college age people. And the number one thing you talk to them about is porn. You suck administering <laughs> to college people. Cause yep. that is not the number one need they have. That is not the number one problem in their lives. If they are not, um, you know, failing out because they are looking at porn instead of studying or running up debt because they're paying for sites, or whatever, then it is an issue. Maybe. It's not the issue, and anyone who makes their Certainly. entire thing about it is someone who should be steered well clear of. That's ex- can't say it better than that. And in that case, we will stop trying to say it better than that. We will give you some addresses where you can touch this. If you have a question for us, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumble.com slash ask. You want to keep that entirely anonymous because we respect your privacy as a listener. Hey. That's. Listening to this show is something that some people are ashamed of, and we don't judge that. We celebrate <laughs> it and empathize with it. Um, we're going to take out a song this week. Being that we are without Jed this week, we'll take out with the musical Jed. We'll do a song by Jed called Cast My Cares. for Live Bridge many yeah. years ago. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God bless you. Nothing you can do about it. You are seeking sacrifice.